there. Hi. Welcome back to the, the Yamcast. We're so glad you're here. We My are. name is Erica. And I'm Chris. And we are here to talk through Hosea. We're going to be starting with chapter one, which is a great place to start. Right. Because that's what we do in this podcast. We talk through Bible books, which ultimately our goal is to help young adults and college students get a feel for the Bible and then ask some really good questions with how to live their lives. And nothing's out of, out of bounds or off limits for us. Yeah, so if you need to contact us, mm-hmm. please do it through social media or through email. We're on Instagram and Facebook at the Yamcast and Gmail, yamcastpod. At gmail.com. I know that's implied, but I'm old. And it's, all right. it's helpful to make sure that we've got the... Cover all those bases. So you asked a couple of questions last time, and I was yeah. able to you know, fire up my computer and crack through a bunch of Hit res- that Google research. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you, you know what's funny is I actually was in Logos, which is the Bible program that I use for a lot of things. So I have, I think, like 50 commentary sets and a bunch of other stuff in there. So I'm able to get a ton of information, usually way too much. Uh, but I did go to Google to answer a couple of these questions because... It's faster. I mean, why not? Yeah. Cause it's easy. I don't want to sort through like 20 articles. I mean, now also with that in mind, you also know what's a good resource and what's not a good resource. Can't take everything as fact. Yeah. So there's that in there too. Yeah. So you asked the question, are the two tribes of Judah the same tribes that were good spies out of the 12? Mm-hmm. And, and, we, and it was a cool parallel. Not the same tribes as the spies. So the spies... Okay were Joshua and Caleb. Mm -hmm. Caleb is in the tribe of Judah. That does sound familiar. Ding, ding, ding. That is the southern. Uh, The other one, though, is Ephraim. Which is actually in the northern, right? Just And it's just north of Judah, where Ephraim set up. Okay. So Ephraim would have been like, I think Gideon was an Ephraimite. I know Jephthah was. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just north of it, and they were the ones that jumped in with the northern kingdom. So Judah is known as the tribes of Judah, that kind of makes sense. Yes. And then the tribe of Benjamin. Okay. And so those two tribes become the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom becomes the other ten. The tribe of Dan all but gets wiped out. Yeah. After the Samson, you know, and Micah, Levite situation, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one. What was the other question you asked? Uh, it was with Jeroboam, which I kind of deduced myself. Uh, yeah. Because um, Jeroboam the second is who is king while Hosea is writing. Correct. And you had talked about that Rehoboam and Jeroboam are the two that split the yep. kingdoms. Yep. And so Jeroboam obviously is taking the northern kingdom of Israel. And I was like, oh, well, it Jeroboam the second right after him. But then realized if, if Hosea is writing this 200 years after the split and there's only Jeroboam and then Jeroboam the second, that would not be 200 years. Correct. So the Jeroboams are actually the bookends of the northern oh, kingdom. Oh, okay. So you've got Jeroboam. Uh, you know, the guy that breaks away and does his own thing. And then you've got Jeroboam II is right near or at the end of the Northern Kingdom. Before they get taken by And Jeroboam II served for a long time and was a really bad guy. Like bad, bad, bad. Yeah, that's, yeah. Which leads to the, the end of it all. But what's amazing too is the line of the kings in the Northern Kingdom is not one continuous line. So Jeroboam's kids take over for a little while and then somebody, I think, assassinates a son and takes over. Mm-hmm. Then, then there's at one point a general attacks a king and kills him and takes over. But then that king's son kills the general's family so that he gets back in. It's just not cohesive. Whereas like Dav- David's family is always in charge of Judah. Mm. Which also just shows you, to some extent, Judah 
kind of has their stuff together. They had more stuff together and more kings that actually tried to serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. Israel didn't really have any kings that tried to serve the Lord. And that'll play into the book as we get into chapters two, three, four, and, and on. You'll go, oh, yeah, I'm seeing it. So. And remember, so Hosea is from the northern kingdom, serving in the tribes of Israel, the ten tribes. Yeah, and that's his thing. All right. And if I don't do this, my child's going to flip out. So, Dylan, this is your shout-out. Thank you for the email you sent. Love that you love the podcast. You don't get a sticker. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. No. No sticker. Wow. It's harsh. Right? No, it's not harsh. No. Dylan, it's just kind of a thing where my children are intentionally trying to steal the products from us. <laughs> so I'm ready to move to a read-through. How about you? Well, let's do it because that's what we're doing next. All right. So Hosea 1, big chunk of it, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So this is one of those verses that yep. the person will read and go, da 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 done. They will not actually read all those names. Which is unfortunate because there's some really cool stuff going on there. I mean, it lets you know the timing, which is really nice. Yep, that's huge. And it's affirming to know that this is spirit-led. You know, the word of the Lord came right. to Hosea. But it is a lot of names that are hard for people to pronounce, and they stumble over them and they don't want to, right? Yeah, Definitely. Definitely it's names that people struggle with. But, you know, if we were going to be really nerdy here, we'd say Uzziah, that's an incredible story. Ahaz is the guy that is prophesied that there's going to be a one coming whose name is Emmanuel. That's Ahaz that it's mm. said to. And then the other, Hezekiah, is kind of the last of the really great kings of Judah until he sort of turds out at the end. So, <laughs> and Jeroboam II, you know, is really the last king of Israel, so to speak. Uh, so... Nerd me looks at it and says, these are incredible names. I don't know why anyone would skip over them, but (laughs) you being more normal and rational. I'm just like, I don't know what any of these mean. So (laughs) let's move on to the story part of the. (laughs) Yeah, let's move into the second verse. So when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. Yep. And have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom. By forsaking the Lord. How many times can we say that one verse? I feel like uh, three at least. Golly, that's a lot. And it that's like too feel, many for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it feels quite repetitive, you know. Uh, lots of whoredom going on in verse two. I mean, we did say in our intro that it's going to be a word. We're going to see a lot. So get yeah. ready. Interesting Hebrew note. Uh, the beginning of verse two could be translated a bunch of different ways. So one could say, when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, the other way, and I like this translation better that we're reading, the ESV, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea. Because mm. I think the intention here is not necessarily that God suddenly starts speaking to Hosea, but that Hosea has a long prophetic ministry beforehand. It seems implied in this passage. Okay. And then after his prophetic ministry has reached a certain point, the Lord begins to speak through him in a different way. And so therefore, two, verse 2 all the way through the rest of the book is sort of this slightly different thing. And you get that from verse one, the Lord, you know, speaks to Hosea. And then in verse two, now there's a new message going to be preached mm-hmm. through him. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's quite a request. Very much so. I don't know how I would respond if I was asked to do that. It seems weird. Mm-hmm. 
it seems uncomfortable. Yeah. It'd probably make a lot of us go, oh, don't know what to do with this. Like, is that really is that really what you're asking me to do? But it's really the entire point of the book, right? So you, you kind of go, all right, fine. We're willing to lean in a little farther and just see what's going on. But a wife of whoredom, children of whoredom, for the land is committing great whoredom. Doesn't times. get any easier to hear that. <laughs> not going to lie. That's true. Verse 3. So he went and took Gomer, solid first name, the daughter of Dibliam, or Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So what I like here is that it doesn't seem like there's any question. He obeys and just does it. Mm-hmm. We Obviously, we don't know. There could have been more dialogue. There could have been questions, but... In other places in the Bible, we do see that, right, with Moses and him kind of saying, like, I can't do these things. And we don't have that here, so I assume then that's not happening because it's not written. But it obviously could. But if it's written in other places and it's not here, then I am imagining that that's not what we're supposed to be focusing on. The obedience is what we're supposed to be focusing on. So, Right. This is not in any commentary. I'm merely pulling this out of thin air. But when I always read these types of things, I like thinking random weird thoughts that nobody else thinks. and Filling in some of the gap a little bit? Yeah. It is also conceivable that he thinks Gomer is beautiful but is afraid to marry her because she is living a life of a prostitute. Mm. So I have not read that in a single commentary. If anyone has a commentary that suggests that, then great minds think alike and such. <laughs> uh, not that I'm implying that. But there is the possibility that he sees her and thinks she's off limits. And God says, no, you can go ahead and do this, knowing full well that this is going to lead to a much more beautiful story, mm. a pretty woman sort of situation, if you will. I've never actually seen that movie. So I was going to say. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know. Ready for verse four? Let's do it. All right, four and five. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. This is the first child. For in just a little while, while I will punish and the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow or the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So the other two names that we'll talk about make sense. Yeah. They're more of like a thought or a concept kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jezreel is like a place or yeah. like a, it's a place, right? Yeah, it's a valley. That's what I gathered. I mean, I know it says valley of Jezreel, but. Yeah, it's near where. I'm trying to remember. I think it actually is the place where David defeated Goliath. Oh, okay. But it's it's that whole section. It's just north of Jerusalem, kind of in the middle of the hill country. I don't know. Yeah, it's a pretty famous place. And what God is saying is, I'm going to bring the judgment in Jezreel. So the very first child is named after a place of where the end of Israel is going to come. I mean, that's not that doesn't bode well. a fun name. You know? No. It'd be like if I had named my oldest daughter Apocalypse. And then my, son, my, then my second child is, and blood shall be on their hands or something. Oh, you know? yeah. Like, that's kind of what's it going is. on here. And you're like, this is kind of weird. I don't know if I like the names of these children. Not really your call, but. And it's kind of the point. Yeah. You're not supposed to like the names of them. And you, if you're listening to this and you're in college and you think, I have a really stupid name. My parents named me something dumb. You know, my kids the other day were laughing about Rain Wilson from mm, the office and yeah. how I said his parents were hippies. So they named him Rain mm-hmm. with an extra N because why not? You know, if you're walking around, what's your name? Jezreel. Why? Because the kingdom's going to end in Jezreel. I don't know if that's like the most fun story. No, know? it's not. Yeah. 
it's kind of sad. Not making any friends on the, <laughs> the playground. Mom, I'm going to play with Jezreel. No, you're not, son. <laughs> that is not happening. <laughs> Verse 6. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy. That's how you have to say it. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. So another great name. Yeah. I mean, this one speaks for itself. We don't really need to, I mean, a ton of, we understand what no mercy means. <laughs> I like that it's for a girl. Yeah. Which is pretty great. Fun. I imagine, yeah, that she, obviously we have different images that <laughs> come to mind of what she may look like with her name, No Mercy. Right. I imagine a WWE fire. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't right? see I don't see a dainty. Hi, my name is No Mercy. Oh, my gosh. You're like, I see it happening. Yeah. You will give No Mercy. Or like that show, The Gladiators. Did you ever watch that when you were a kid? I American loved Gladiators. American Gladiators. Yeah, no Mercy is American so great. Gladiator. Oh, yeah. Got to be. Yeah. I, I just, I just, yeah, see her introducing herself. And if she is dainty, then them being like, well, this doesn't really make sense. That would be funny. It would. Hi, everyone. My name is No Mercy. Like, and oh, my like, gosh. What's she going to do? <laughs> so it does say at the end that yeah. he's not going to forgive them. Right. But that can't be an action. Like, because God always for- forgives, right? So that is he really not going to forgive them at all? No. Not this time. Not this time. Yeah. You are opening a can of worms with that question. Uh, so... Is it conceivable that Israel could have repented at this point and changed their straits? I suppose in a random philosophical world, it's possible. I think what God is saying here is there's, it's not going to happen, and I'm not going to give mercy. So when Assyria moves in and actually starts to mm-hmm. conquer, you might call out at the last minute, but you've had but 200, this is happening. You've had 209 years to figure this out. What's amazing is when Assyria marches into Jerusalem, Hezekiah is going to take the, the, the law of the Lord and lay it before God in like a scroll uh, and just weep and say, God, save us, and God will save them. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that it would say this, but the house of Israel has no shot, no mercy. Yeah. It's not coming to them. And it doesn't necessarily mean that he is abandoning them forever or is gone Right, just the right. the lack of forgiveness in this moment right. means that the consequences are what is coming. Yes, but what is interesting is we don't know that the ten tribes ever come back to the land. Mm. And what's more complicated is when you read the twelve tribes of Israel in the Book of Revelation, when it, it name, mm-hmm. numbers the hundred and forty four thousand, you've got twelve thousand of each tribe. The tribe of Dan is not mentioned at all. Mm. So there is some type of wordplay or concept here where at least one of the tribes is washed away forever and never comes back. And the other 10, we have no record of those 10 coming back. Hmm. We do have record of the 10 surviving by becoming Samaritans, which is a whole nother problem. But those are all Bible nerdy things that yeah. no, that's most good to... people don't necessarily care about. So, Because that's a kind of a connection into the New Testament, so that's good. Yeah, and the show The Chosen. Yeah, which I finally watched all of it of. Yeah. All of, yeah, whatever. And it's really good. Yeah, season one ends in Sychar, and season two starts in Sychar. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, verse seven. Mm-hmm. I, or did it, was that sufficient for the can of worms that you opened up? I mean, we don't, yeah, we don't have. 
I will that say that time, we but... will probably get back to that when we do a basic storyline in chapters six, seven, eight, okay. further on. I mean, it just it makes sense as to what yeah is being said. But I, I think you're right. What it seems to be saying here is that there will be no mercy this time around. Whether God gives them mercy at any point is that's His decision to give. But, but again, naming your daughter no mercy. Wow. Okay. Setting her up for some success in life. Yeah. What's your name? No mercy. I was attracted to you, but no, I'm not. <laughs> All right, verse seven. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. So you already kind of alluded to the differences between Israel and Judah. We talked about that previously, that they're split. It's a split kingdom. Yep. But this is also just showing more difference that, yeah, there's no mercy is going to be shown to Israel, but there will be mercy. And it's and I do like that he's like, I'm not I'm not going to save you how, how you think I'm going to save you. Right. You always think I'm going to save you by by victory in battle. But right. like that's not what necessarily is going to happen here. And actually, that's not what I really do ever. Right. So. And one of the key storylines to be looking for in this book as we move through it is where each kingdom goes for for salvation, basically. Because mm. the Israelites are going to go to Egypt and try to make a deal quick. And God is going to be infuriated by that. So where, even more so hit miss on the mark. A correct. Lot. Where What I said with Hezekiah, Hezekiah goes to the Lord the worst defense plan of all time politically. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if, if, if the president of the United States came out right now and said, we're under attack, I'm going to go pray. That's all I'm going to do. Can you imagine the slaughterhouse I, on all news networks, by the way? Oh, yes. Not, not yeah. even the, you know, the, the supposed really conservative, like Christian values ones would probably be like, this is the dumbest thing We don't ever. just need prayers. <laughs> we need, yeah. Let's, let's get guns and missiles going. Uh, and if he just, you know, if if it currently the pre, you know President Biden just walked in front of the the American House of Worship, that cathedral in Washington D.C., and just said, "Lord, I'm I'm yours. Do whatever you're going to do, but save this country," <laughs> they'd be like, <laughs> "You have killed us all." <laughs> but God's going to look upon Hezekiah with mercy, and mm-hmm. He's going to look on Israel and be like, "You just made a deal with the Egyptians. What's wrong with you?" Mm-hmm. Wow. Alrighty, verse eight. <laughs> These verses are so weird. Like It is. It's kind of hard. All right. So when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. So again, (laughs) I feel like the names are getting worse and worse as we go. Can you imagine coming to that house, buying it from Hosea years later, and there's little notches in the wall, not my people, no mercy, like there's just gr- as they grow up, you know, no mercy, no mercy, no mercy. Not my people, not my people. I'm, <laughs> I, I know I'm crazy, but just imagine. You'll be like, what in the world happened here? On the doorpost, yeah. All right, sorry, keep going. So, I mean, I mean, it's just getting. You can tell it's getting more serious. Like, yeah, God is really not messing around here. He does not deal well with those who choose to worship other gods or go other places besides him and he's really letting them know like you've been doing this for far too long and stuff's gonna now happen yeah and now at this point and this comes back to what we talked about very beginning with judges right there's this storyline in the scriptures of i am your god i will save you if you choose to follow other gods 
I have no choice but to give you over to them, mm-hmm. to let them have their choice. Like you, if you don't want me, go for it. But understand, this is not going to go well for you. And so that's really what he's saying. Yeah. And so if you think about it from a Romans 1 perspective, you know, he's giving them over to what they want. You want to worship other gods? To the desires of the heart. You have the freedom to do so. Have fun. But it's not going to go well for you. Mm-hmm. All right, verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. So I don't know if I quite understand how this fits in, to be real. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I just, I mean, I just thought he was saying he's not the people, they're not his people. And now he's like, but you'll be called children of the living God. I'm confused as to... What is going on? I think what's even more confusing is he just said they're not going to get mercy. Mm-hmm. And then he proceeds to say, where you once were called this, I'm now going to call you children of the living God. Right? And that, mm-hmm. so that there's, there seems to be some kind of disparate idea there. It's like, wait, 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 how can you say that and then say this? Which starts to beg the question as we move through prophecy, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, God is telling a story that is much bigger than what we can handle by looking at one particular verse or one particular thing, which is why I'm always terrified when someone comes to me and says, my life verse is blank and it's something in the prophets. And I'm always like, oh my gosh, you don't know where that came Mm. from. You know, uh, I named my kid, not my people. You probably didn't read this whole story, but no one would name their kid that in today's, you know, America. But, but that's really part of what's going on here is there is a redemptive story that God is going to tell, but it starts off with no mercy. And I mean, he, so he's kind of saying, you're not lost forever. Right. And I am still here. Right. But like, consequences are still happening. Yeah. And you are still children of the living God. Yeah. But consequences are still happening. Like, right. And we don't like it when the consequences are individual. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if, you know, I've worked with people over the years that they make a lot of really bad decisions. Boom, 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 boom. And now they're dealing with the consequences of those decisions. And they're like, why can't God save me from them? It's not that he can't. He already has. Do you understand he already has saved you? The problem is you're still going to have the fallout. There's mm-hmm. broken relationships. There's other, you know, you're, you're, you have no retirement saved up because you've blown your entire life savings on such and such. Or you've, you've not had a job in the last 20 years. Of course, there's going to be consequences to Things that. Things don't just magically change. Correct. Yeah. God saving you does not mean that you get what you want, per se. And in this circumstance, that's at least part of what's going on. And it's, it, yeah, it's crazy. So, verse 11. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall... Go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So this is a very different feel, Yep. this verse. I would say the last two verses than the rest of this chapter has been. Mm-hmm. This leaves you far more hopeful, mm-hmm. a little bit more compassionate. Obviously, this seems like it's years down the line. Or is this meaning, because I, I was thinking that this is not meaning right now. This is meaning in the future, this will be what happens. Right. And I think if you read, they shall appoint for themselves one head. There starts to be the indication there that they finally understand that God should be their king Hmm. and they choose to follow him. What's ironic is the story of Jesus doesn't exactly spell it out perfectly, but it's at least better than it is right now at this moment. 
So, yeah, no, it should be hopeful and compassionate. And really, you know, kind of this is the whole section of verses we're going to deal with this episode. If you're starting to sense there's a lot going on in these few verses, this is sort of the beginning of the story that's just going to be retold and retold and retold and retold and retold over the next few chapters. And by the end of it, we're going to feel really comfortable with this idea of, I'm going to hand you over to what you want, whoredom, right? Mm -hmm. You, You want to go do whatever you want to do and you want to not suffer the consequences. You think you're blessed because you're not getting the consequences right off the bat. There's a day coming when it's going to go. It's going to go bad for you. And when it happens, yeah, you're not going to like it. So on to the deeper dive. And uh, here we're just really going to talk about Baal worship and just the grossness of the entire what's happening in Israel at this time. And so just to, you know, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I want to start laying the foundation because this is going to come up a lot more in the future. But what Israel has decided to do, you know, the quick storyline here is the first Jeroboam, as we talked about in the previous episode, set up a place of worship here and a place of worship here. And both of those places are not Jerusalem because he's afraid of how Jerusalem's going to, you know, steal his people back. So by doing that, he then sets the the course for people to start building high places. And on the high places, they're going to put whatever they want to put to worship whoever they're going to worship. And on those high places, they spend a lot of time working on worshiping Baal, which is a god of fertility, also a god of the harvest. He's the the god of thunder. uh, So you could think Thor if you wanted to, but he's a massive half-human, half-bull like with huge horns kind of guy. And what he does is he comes in and he brings the storms with him, the thunder, the lightning, all that kind of stuff. He conquers gnats, which is like not that significant, but (laughs) but he he conquers them. There's these demonic gnats that are killing everybody and he sucks them all up and spits them all out. Uh, And then, so then he kind of becomes the Lord of the sky. Uh, In fact, the one phrase they use for Baal is he's the Lord of the Flies. And so it's similar to even the book that was written on Lord of the Flies, this whole idea. So, okay, anyway, so this whole thing is Baal is just a really messed up guy. I've talked about him briefly in other podcasts, uh, but he, yeah, he's in charge of worship of the sky and fertility and storms and therefore the harvest. His wife, Ashereth, is, or Ashereth is a... uh, She's fertility goddess. She brings babies along when she's worshipped. So what would happen is they would worship these two individuals by creating totem poles for her and then these massive you know, metal statues of him that they would throw babies into the fire and burn them up. So if you think about it, if you're trying to serve the one true God and you read back in the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you find out what, what is God asking us to do, it's treat your neighbor well love one another, understand that I've saved you, so follow my lead. And there's this beautiful idea of the law of the Lord is the way for me to walk. It'll change the people around me. It's going to change my neighborhood, my life, all this. It's going to be great. And you sacrifice that to this really disgusting form of worship. And then you just kind of go all in. And that's basically Mm -hmm. what Israel does. And so there's actually this crazy thing if you were to, you know, go to Israel with me or some other trip with somebody else, uh, you can, we can actually go to the temple in Dan, one of the spots where Jeroboam set up these, this house of worship. And the beginning of it is all these lamb bones, and then there's pig bones above that. So you clearly even threw away everything. You started worshiping another god, doing things that are you know not kosher, not following the law of the Lord at all. And by not following the law of the Lord at all, now it has seeped into the entire society. The whole thing is just disgusting. So if you're thinking, 
man, God doesn't seem really nice here. Well, no, why would he be? They, they've given up worshiping him altogether, and that has now le- leaked into every single part of the entire society. So some have suggested Gomer might actually be a temple prostitute. Mm. She's actually being, she's a part of the whole worship system yeah. for Baal and Asherah. Uh, but who knows? We, we don't really have a ton of how it was actually worked out in Israel. We don't know how they worshiped exactly what they did. We know that some of the other Canaanite societies did different things, but that's kind of where it all plays out. So that's the deeper dive. Baal worship is kind of the heart of the problem here. It's a major issue, and that's going to come up a bunch of times mm-hmm. later on in the future. That's the whoredom. Kind of gross. Yes, it is. Yeah. All right, so let's get practical. Do we have time? I don't know. What do you need? What time do you need to leave? Don't you have stuff at 445? No? No, not today. Oh. You're good. Okay. Then you're going to want to cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) I thought the 445 was for you, not for me. No. Yeah, no, they're out of town this week, so I I don't have to do counseling. Let's get practical, practical. So I feel like this often happens when we read passages from the Old Testament and we hear about Israel worshiping other gods and we often look down at them and wonder how in the world can they be doing that? Like it seems so foolish. Mm -hmm. You've watched God do some amazing things. You've watched him save you. You've watched him provide. You've heard the stories. Granted, I think what can happen a lot of times is those stories stop happening. You stop actually teaching that to your children. And so that can be some of what, what ends up happening. But we just look at it and we're like, like sacrificing a baby to Baal just seems like when we think of that, we're like, that's so dumb. Like, why would you, why would you do that? Why (laughs) would you turn away from God and do these things that just seem extremely foolish? But that was also their culture at the time. Like that was their, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say their culture. It was some, it was their surrounding, surrounding culture yeah. that they were allowing to come in. Right. Well, we have the same thing happening with us too, right? Like mm-hmm. we have surrounding culture that ends up seeping in. So a lot of times when we read these things from the Old Testament and we we think it's like outdated or whatnot, then we need to maybe modernize it a bit because we're human just as they are. We have not fully evolved in like a such a way that we don't struggle with keeping God number one. Like that is right. a constant thing that we always need to be fighting against. Anything that and anything that takes God out of that number one spot is that idol that you're worshiping. Right. So whereas they didn't look to God to save them anymore, they were looking to Baal to save them and right. for security and whatnot. And whatever we end up doing with that too is is the same thing. So right. we gotta be really careful um, just as the Israelites needed to keep God number one, like we need to be really careful to do that as well. And if we do not, then we are not following him. He is not guiding us. And we're doing exactly what we're talking about with Hosea, that they are going into whoredom and mm-hmm. you're going after other gods to try to, you know, save you and, and whatnot. So that's my my getting practical. Yeah, and it seems super crazy but let, let me modernize it really quickly, if, if I can. So imagine with me that we have denied that God is worth following at all, and so we just have sex with whomever we want to have sex with, and we don't care about what happens. Yeah. To the point where we get pregnant, and we go, well, I don't really like him, so I don't really want to keep the baby. Or he puts pressure on her. Well, I don't, I'm not ready to be a dad yet. I yeah. can't possibly do this. And so the pressure gets put on, and so the baby is ultimately sacrificed for a future that hopefully mm, has more pros- yeah. it has more prosperity 
I, I, I can't handle this. It's going to be better for us if we don't have this baby. And we don't think through the fact that maybe if we would have listened in the first place to the way of God, we wouldn't have been wandering in places that we shouldn't be. And then having these consequences mm-hmm. that we can't handle and don't know how to deal with. Right. And it's almost very applicable when you, it think, is. when you think about it that way. Yeah, very true. And then we try to make the set, you know, then the sacrifice becomes, well, it's not really a baby. It's just a clump of cells. We it's, do whatever we can to justify it. It's to make just it a thing. It's just a pill. It didn't really mean anything or they don't really mean anything to me. It's just sex, not a big deal. And in the middle of that, what we've done is actually created a culture that doesn't worship another God, but ultimately doesn't honor the God that it's supposed to be honoring. And so then we throw it all out the window and we're like, I'm so surprised that this all went the way it mm-hmm. did. And then later on, years later, we, we struggle through the fact that I sacrificed a life and I can't believe I did that for the sake of this man or this woman. And this is ridiculous. It's really and, hard. And I have more of those counseling conversations than people would realize with people that are just really hurting because of, of their abortion. So then they hear, you know, you know, politics get thrown into the whole thing and like, well, Christians care about this just because of, you know, they just want everyone to not have sex and to not have abortions. We don't even, it's not even about what you do. You're... You're, people do stupid things. The church is totally understanding of that. We love you. We, we are willing to give mercy. It's Christ's mercy that we're giving out anyway. You know, he loves the prostitute. You know, Gomer here is, is going to be dearly loved in this story. So over and over again, the, the problem is not necessarily what you do. We, we will love you through it all. The problem is we feel like we have some type of responsibility to speak for the voice that can't speak for themselves. And that's not mm-hmm. popular in today's culture. And I totally understand why, but it doesn't mean that we're wrong. And so this is why we get really passionate about it. And what I struggle then is then we make it a, merely a political issue. It's, it's not. It's much, much more complicated mm-hmm. than that and much more intense. And so when we read these, this passage and you read it through and you're like, well, that would never happen today. It is happening today all the time. Yeah, I didn't think we about just, that. We just take the names out and we make it slightly different. You know, mm-hmm. I'm an atheist, so it's not really a big deal anymore. You're a bail worshiper. Like, what? No, I don't care how you want to put this. You're whether the God is real or not. You've made it into something that it's not. And and I'm saying I do believe that there's a merciful, benevolent God who is running the entire universe, and He wants us to live a certain way because it's our best version of ourselves. Yeah. Which sounds really loving when you put it that way, but we get torn up and thrown out different ways. So, anyway, that's as practical as I can make that. But that's a great point that you're pointing out there. Serving another God does not go well. Council Corner with Erica. Man, that jingle. It's just great. I think it's solid. It is pretty good. So we're going to kind of take that let's get practical and just move it into uh, just talk about it a little bit more in our in our Council Corner. So since we all struggle with, with keeping God number one, I wanted to take some time to really dive into how do we figure out what our idols are that might that we might be worshiping. So here are a few things to think about. So God is supposed to be where we're finding our worth, our comfort, our security, and our love. And if we are searching to find any of those things in something or someone else, then that is becoming an idol. Yes. So I'm not saying that you may not feel safe or loved or by somebody or someone um, that is close to you. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're an idol. Like I, I feel loved by my husband. That's not. That doesn't mean that he's an idol. It's if that is what I'm seeking in that relationship. Like I want to feel loved. So I, and if I don't get that from him, then I'm not feeling loved. Like that's where it kind of becomes more of an idol for me. Mm -hmm. So if I am seeking that out in order to feel a certain way, then that's when that can become an idol. So another thing to think about are 
what are things that you may enjoy in life? So how can those kind of start to become idols? So for example, I could really enjoy working out. It can become an idol because I'm seeking to earn something from that, maybe to feel better about myself, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, where again, that's where I should just be getting that from God. And what I can do to continually keep God first while working out is thanking him for the opportunity of doing it. Then I am actually like centering myself on him as he's being the blesser of bringing that into my life. He is the one that is bringing that good feeling that I have with working out. And I'm acknowledging it, not making working out more than it needs to be. And this is kind of how I believe that we can kind of keep idols at bay, but also just keep them where they're supposed to be. Like working out is not a bad thing at all, but it can become harmful for you if you are seeking for it to do things that it's not meant to do. Right. Like giving you value, value, making you feel good about yourself. I mean, granted, it does release whatever that is, endorphins, something mm-hmm. that does make you feel good, which is why people often say you should be doing some form of workout. But we then are thanking God for that release and for that feeling, not working out. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it not only makes sense, but it's it's very applicable for us to be thinking about are there things in my life that are an idol? And your family could become one. Yeah. If you've chosen to put them above God, you know, then that is, uh, it's become an idol versus putting God first and then having your family as a responsibility of you and your spouse leading your children or thinking through how to help them see who God is and what he's all about. You know, if you just put all that aside and just say, no, my, my family is the most important thing. I don't need to do this or that because I just don't feel like it. And then you're probably missing out on what God has for you. Yeah, it's really keeping things in their rightful spots. And just, I mean, we've talked about this too, but it's those things are not meant to do the things you want them to do. Like they're not meant to fill you. They're not meant to give you security. They're no. not meant to give you comfort. It's all false. Because once that thing is gone, then you don't feel that way anymore. You don't feel secure. You don't feel comfort. You don't. That's why you get that from God, because that is not false. It will always be there. Mm-hmm. It does not leave. So. So, yeah, if you're if you're finding that in other places, then that's where it, it becomes an idol. And that's where you have taken God out of being number one. Totally. So couldn't have said it better myself. So that's Hosea, Hosea 1. 1. Good times, right? Yeah. Always, always had. Lots of whoredom. <laughs> Got to get another one in there. Just wait till we get more of that coming in the future episodes. It's happening. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Yamcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember to check us out on all the socials like Instagram at the Yamcast. We love to hear back from you guys, so please leave us a comment or a review, and we might even send you guys a sticker. Also, if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com.